everyone, my name is Philippe and this is the podcast Life with AI, the podcast that we talk about artificial intelligence in the simpler way. And for today's episode, I'm going to talk about the whole life cycle of a data science project. I'm going to talk about how to do a data science project from the beginning to the end, how to do it from scratch. And I will talk about uh, everything that you need, the steps that you need to follow to do your data science job to do your data science project. And then I will explain what did I do to make my biggest data science project, which was fraud detection in the stock market. But I will not talk about my project. I will talk about everything I did, everything behind the project, you know, uh, all the steps that I, that I made to achieve a good result and in the end even publish a paper uh, in a top tier conference. So let's start. What's the first thing we need to know, we need to do to make a data science project. The first thing and the most important one is to formulate the hypothesis. The hypothesis that you want to answer in your data science project. In my case, the main hypothesis was, well, I think there are some frauds that are being made in the Brazilian market that are not being caught by the government, by the regulatory agency. So I will myself find these frauds. So the hypothesis is that there are some frauds that are not being identified. And from it, I will, uh, the second step is to acquire the data. Because to analyze if there are some frauds or analyze anything else, you need to have the data. And you have many ways of finding and acquiring this data. You can search for a database on the internet that have data, enough data to answer your question, your hypothesis. You can like ask for the data engineering in your company if you work in a company that have uh, data engineers or you already have the database in, the, in your company. So you just uh, take this database and use it. Or in the last case and the hardest one, that was my case actually, you need to scrap your database. You're going to go to the internet and find where is the information and write an algorithm to scrap, which means that to take this information for you and then after you scrap it, you're gonna have a database to work with. So after you have the data, you have to first of all, clean your data. And what, what do I mean as cleaning data? You have, uh, sometimes you have missing data. Uh, I didn't have this problem, which is very good because cleaning the data is very bad. You can have like missing data or abnormal data, which we call as anomalies. And you need to know what to do. So there is this cleaning data part and also the exploration of the data, also understanding of the data. And well, I have my students that I give some machine learning and data science courses, and they always make this question. Uh, do I clean the data first or do I explore the data? For me, you do both in the same time because, well, you have missing data. To know what to do with this missing data, if we can just exclude the line or exclude the column, uh, we need to analyze the data and understand if it's uh, important data, a data point, it's important column or not. And how to do it? Well, if you are in a company, you need to ask for a specialist. You also, you always have a lot of experts in the domains. Imagine if you are working like in the medical domain, you need to ask for the doctors, what does it mean? And sometimes when you just uh, have this contact, you just ask for the expert. The expert will answer you so many questions that you don't even know you had. 
So for the example of an abnormal data, maybe this abnormal data is just a problem in the acquisition of the data. And the expert will know, he, it, he will say like, this is impossible, you can just exclu exclude this data point. And you yourself, as you are not an expert in the field, you spend a long time trying to understand what to do with this abnormal data point. And maybe you will take the wrong decision in the end. In my case, well, I didn't have an expert, so what I did was to search a lot of papers and a lot of official resources of the governmental agencies uh, to to know what to do, and they were my expert. But I would not, but I wasn't able to have a contact and make questions for an expert in this case. And after, okay, so you have the cleaning data, you have understanding the data. To understand the data, what you do, you can plot a lot of graphs to understand like you can make histograms, you can make uh, like time series plot if your data is time dependent. You can create a lot of new variables to understand and to explain what is happening. You can see correlations with these variables. Uh, this is very important to understand your data and also the project that you are working in. Uh, after it, sometimes you have to manually annotate your data well, imagine that you have a data set, but you don't have the labels. So with an expert, you need to annotate this data. And of course, uh, a lot of time this is not needed. The label that you need is already there, but uh, sometimes you do need to do this manual annotation. And this was the hardest part in my research. And I will explain you later when I talk specifically what I did. After annotating this data, well, we think about going for the model, to the machine learning model to do the predictions, to make the predictions. Because we, we're gonna have a, a good understanding of the data, the data gonna be cleaned. We, we have already created our new variables, so we can use a model to make the predictions. Not exactly, because a lot of models have some priors that you need to respect to use this model. Like, uh, Handon Forest, they don't really have a prior that you need to respect. You can just put your features and it's gonna work. You can just put your data and it's gonna work. But like a linear regression have a lot of priors. The, the data need to be identically in variated distribution. Uh, they cannot be, they cannot have uh, non-linear correlations between them. All the correlations need to be linear. So you need to follow these priors to use this model. And you also have, for instance, the problem of a linear regression to put uh, different features in different scales. So you have a step before the model part. This step is the scaling step. You need to put the features in the correct format to use this algorithm. So as a scaling, you can use like a min-max normalization or a standard scaling. A min-max normalization is just uh, subtracting the minimal value and dividing by the maximum value minus the minimal value or the, the standard scaling is just subtracting the, the average and dividing by the standard deviation. It's very simple. In my case, I couldn't use these two techniques and I will explain later. But uh, well, for some models, for some algorithms, you need to scale your data after inputting it. Then after you have your data in a good format, you can go to the model part, which is the one that data science most like. So you can test a lot of models and you can tune the hyperparameters of this model. You can use a cross-validation to do it. Cross-validation is the best technique to do it. What is a cross-validation? In a cross-validation, you're gonna divide your data in some uh, folds, we would say. Imagine that you have five folds and you're gonna use the four first folds to train and the fifth one to test. And then you're gonna 
change a little bit. You're gonna use the folds two, three, four, and five to train, and the first one to test. And then you're gonna use the folds one, three, four, five to train, and the second one to test. And with it, you're gonna have an average of the result and the standard deviation. So with these five folds, you're gonna have five results of this model with these specific hyperparameters, and you're gonna have the average. You're gonna do it for a different set of hyperparameters, and after you did everything for all the hyperparameters and all the folds, you can choose the best model based on the average and the standard deviation that you had in the result. To see first, if the model is overfitting, Second, how is the variance of this model? This is important, but uh, maybe this is gonna be something for another episode. And okay, now that you found the best model, the magical model for this problem, you tuned the hyperparameters, you have a very powerful model. You need to do one thing that is really important that in the beginning I didn't do, which is compare your results with a baseline. Sometimes this baseline just gonna be a model. So you're gonna compare uh, your model with a random model, a model that would just make uh, random predictions or a very simple model that uses some priors or just a set of rules uh, given by an expert and you're gonna compare your model. Or you can also do like an A-B test and A-B test is very used on industry. Imagine that Facebook have a new feature and they wanna test if this feature increases the watch time of videos in their platform. So what they're gonna do, they're gonna separate people in two groups, two groups of people randomly distributed and with the same size of the groups. And for one group, they're gonna put this new feature and well, metrify if the time increased, compare it to the other group that you didn't put this feature. So it's not only putting your model into production, it's to also seeing if this model is good or not, if it increases, the average time, watch time, if it, well, the hypothesis that you made in the beginning that you, this new feature can increase the watch time if it really happens. And of course, after you, you have your model and you see that it, it's much better than the baselines, you need to put this model into production. And after putting it into production, you need to monitor your model and sometimes retrain. Because maybe when you are monitoring, you are seeing that in real life, the model is not performing as well as it was performing in your tests. So you need to understand why. And there is also the problem that during the time the data might change. So the consumption behavior in e-commerce change during the time. And people that make fraud, they change their patterns during the time. So you need to retrain your model. And also, of course, you acquire new data. So with this new data, you can retrain your model to have a more powerful model. Even if your model is already performing well, it can always perform better. So you have this retraining part uh, that is related to this monitoring part. And guys, just a last thing that is very important is that maybe if your problem, the problem that you are solving is really big, what you can do is that you can divide it into some small problems and then solve each one of them. And then after solving all of these smaller problems, you're gonna have solved the big problem. And now let's see how I applied all these steps and at least some of them, because sometimes you need to apply every, all of these steps. Sometimes you don't need to do a small part uh, like uh, sometimes you don't need to annotate manually the data. So let's see how I applied everything, all of this into my project. So let's go to my case. In my case, I had two hypotheses. The first one that I will talk first is that there are some frauds in the financial market that are not being caught. 
and I will identify them myself because there are the frauds, but no one is seeing it. So the first thing is to formulate the hypothesis and this is the hypothesis. Then I had to acquire the data. Uh, for me, I didn't have a database on the internet and as I was not working for a company, I had to scrap this database. I went to some websites and I scrapped it. And after scrapping it, I mixed all the information that I needed into only one database. In my case, for I didn't need to clean the data. The data was very good and I had a lot of abnormal data. But in my case, as I was dealing with frauds, the frauds are the abnormal data. So what you do with abnormal data in this case, you just don't do anything, you know, because if you like exclude this abnormal data, you don't have frauds anymore. So this is the part that uh, you need to understand the data and have contact with uh, an expert to make the decision of what to do with, for instance, abnormal data. As I told you guys, in my case, I didn't have a, an expert. So what I did is that I read a lot of papers and official resources on the internet to understand the patterns of the fraud and the variables that people use to identify these frauds. So that's what I did. After understanding all these patterns, I tried to plot some graphs to see the same patterns in my database. And I created new variables, new features that could show these fraudulent patterns based on what I had as contact with an expert that in my case was just reading papers. And of course, I saw the correlation between features, the correlation between, well, everything to understand actually what is a fraud and well, to then start the manually annotation. And now you're gonna see how important it is to divide your problem into some subproblems. Because uh, now I have a good understanding of the data and I have the variables that, then exp that can explain a fraud. But what is a fraud in the insider trading case? Well, insider trading is when someone have privileged information about something that's gonna happen. And of course, this person will trade shares on the market, will like buy some stocks, and when this information is made public, and normally this information is made public in form of a news event, uh, the stock price will increase or decrease, and this, pay, this person will make a lot of money. So this is insider trading. You have a news, and then you search in the period before this news, if someone could have committed a fraud, could have privileged information to make money with it. So the first thing that we need here is to have the news. And in my case, I didn't have a, a data set saying which day there was a, a news, an impactful news for each stock. Because there is not only having news, it's also that this news was unexpected and uh, it was uh, important to impact, to change the price of the stock. Because sometimes you can have a 5% increase in a, in a stock price and there is no news, nothing unexpected related to it. It was just like the market uh, in increasing the price, which is not related to insider trading. There is impossible to have insider trading without a news. So I had to search this news and to do it, I manually annotated more than a thousand possible days. I went to the internet to search if this day that the stock price increased or decreased a lot, there was uh, an unexpected news. So this was the first manual job. And after having all of this news annotated, I could start the manual annotation of the insider trading part. So knowing the days of the news, let's search in the period before it to see if there are some possible insider trading frauds. And this was the second manual annotation 
of this project. And if I didn't divide it into two sub-problems, uh, without knowing the days of the news, it would be impossible to know the insider trades. So that's why it's so important to divide the problem into smaller problems. Okay, so I did everything manually and it was terrible. It was really, really, really annoying to do everything manually. So I want a machine learning model to make it for me. I don't want to like go in the internet to see if there is a news. I want to have a machine learning model that based on a lot of features, give this information to me, say if there is a news or not, and say if there is an insider trading fraud or not in a period of time. So uh, first of all, I had to put, I have to do the scaling. I had to put the features in the correct format. And this is something that I'm really proud of myself because, well, I couldn't use this uh, standard techniques like uh, standard scaling and min-max uh, normalization because, well, because of a lot of things, but I used a different technique that is not usually used for scaling, which is I used the quantile of the series. The quantile is basic an assorted uh, series of values. And you say the not the value itself, but the position in percentage of where is this value in the series. So this is the quantile. And I used this quantile to scale my data. And when I published my paper, all the reviewers said that it was a very smart technique to use that is not often used to it. So I'm really proud of this technique. And uh, well, after having this technique in place, I could more than double the, the result of my algorithm because it was really a game changing to, to the algorithm to work because I had the many problems that I explained it in the, the first episode about uh, this fraud detection. But okay. Uh, after I had the variables in the correct format, I did scale them using this quantile technique. I tested some models. Actually, in the time that I did this project, project, I didn't know anything about machine learning. So a guy, he helped me and he gave me a model with the already the hyperparameters to it. So I just used this model. Uh, I didn't test others because I didn't know even which models could I test. I didn't know anything about it at the time. And one thing that I said to you that I didn't do was to compare against baselines. And for this specific problem of uh, fraud detection, uh, I compared to baselines after uh, when I published my paper because I need to show a comparison between my model and some baselines to show how good it is. And for this problem of fraud detection, it was very good. But for the next problem of news prediction, it was not that good. And I will explain you later. And I didn't put my model into production because, well, I was just doing a research project. It was not related to a company. But yeah, of course, you could put this model into production and monitor it and, of course, retrain it. Because after you put a fraud detection model into production, people will commit different frauds because the frauds that they were committing uh, are now being detected by your algorithm. So you need to always retrain and it's always a game between people that want to make frauds and algorithms that want to detect these frauds. So this was the first problem that was detecting frauds. And now I had the second hypothesis, that is, uh, from the trades, is it possible to predict the nils? So this was the second hypothesis. And for this case, I already had the, the database. It was already cleaned and I already understood the behaviors of the data and, and everything. I didn't need to annotate everything manually because it was already annotated by the previous problem. 
and also the variables were already scaled. So what I had to do is just to change a little bit the input of the algorithm to it be able to predict the nails instead of from a day with a nails detector frauds. So the problem is just a little bit different, but the, the performance of the model is completely different. And in this case, well, I tested kind of the same model with different features, but uh, when I compared it to the baseline to publish my paper, I saw that my algorithm was not really better than a random predictor. What is a random predictor? It's just a model that say randomly if there's gonna be a news in the next days or not. So my algorithm was not really better than a random predictor. And after seeing it, after comparing it into a, against a baseline, I did some modifications in my algorithm and then it was really better than the, than the random predictor. And then I could publish the, the paper. So this was in the research field. But imagine if you are in a company and they are paying you to make a model and you didn't compare your model to the baseline. And like three months later, they are seeing that uh, your, your model is not detecting the frauds at all. And there is a now a senior data scientist in the company and this guy gonna see if, uh, well, how well your algorithm is performing. And it just, he just compares to a baseline as the first thing that he did. And he sees that it's not better than a random predictor. You just get fired. So then you can see how important it is to, to compare your algorithm against baselines to see really how well is it performing. So in this case, I also didn't uh, put this model into production. Actually, uh, my model was good. It was more than double the precision of uh, a random baseline, which for a really hard problem, guys, predict news is really hard, but I didn't put my model into production because I think it, it might be too dangerous to put a news predictor in the market because if people start following it, uh, of course, the model will make some mistakes and it could impact the price of the stocks. And this was not at all what I wanted to, to do because I would uh, manipulate the market myself and I didn't want to do it. So that's why I didn't put this specific model into production, but I, but I could. Uh, so instead I just published a paper to show people that uh, this is possible and this is dangerous if uh, people want to do it. So this is what I had to talk to you today, guys. I think it's very important to say about the life cycle of a data science project because I talk a lot about algorithms and state of the art, but in most of the cases, all 90%, uh, 80% of the time of a data scientist is to talking with experts, understanding the data, cleaning the data. And I don't really talk much about it in the podcast. So I, I wanted to make this episode to show you the whole life cycle. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to follow us on social media. On Instagram, we are podcast.lifefai. And on LinkedIn, we are just lifefai. Uh, if you can also, please give me five stars on Spotify or in the podcast player that you listen to me. And until next Thursday, guys, goodbye.